Welcome to the NC4 Podcast. We exist to know Christ and make Him known. Discover the power of a connected life by listening to this message from God's Word. This morning is the fourth message in a series of messages that we're doing on unity. And the title of the series is One Accord. The title of our message is Watch Your Six. And you're going to say, well, what does that mean? Well, some of you who are from military families or from police families know what Watch Your Six means. And if you watch cop shows, you'll hear them say, Watch Your Six. We'll talk about that. That's the title of our message this morning, and I'll explain it in a little bit. So we've been saying that the necessary precondition for the Holy Spirit to fall on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 was, uh, and all the other subsequent Pentecosts, that went on. There were all these fallings of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And the thing that seemed to be the most common precondition was one accord. This idea that we're of one mind, one heart, one, one substance in Christ, new creations in Christ. Throughout the book of Acts, this morning I'm asking the question, well, where does this extraordinary unity come from? Because it, it ain't theological. And it isn't intellectual, and boy, is it not political, you know. So it has to be supernatural. We have to be able to tap into it. The disciples before and immediately after the crucifixion, these guys, and even these guys and gals, were in disarray. They were envious. They were competitive. They were confused. They had agendas. They, at the Last Supper, they were still arguing over who was boss and who was the greatest and all of that. So we have to ask ourselves as a church, what force united them so completely and so quickly to be able to be in this one accord to see the power of the Holy Spirit fall? Like, what did that? And I have an answer that's, I think, the right answer, but it's also a confusing answer. And it's, it's also an answer that we have to kind of probe because it's a difficult answer. Because the answer is they personally, okay, personally encountered the bodily risen Jesus Christ. It wasn't, it wasn't a doctrine. It wasn't something that they saw in Scripture. They saw him. And he said to Thomas, look, stick your fingers in my, in my hands. You need to know that I'm corporeal, I'm real, that I'm not some kind of a floaty, floaty ghost. I'm not a ghost. I'm, I'm this kind of a thing. For example, 1 Corinthians 15, 5 to 8, Paul makes sure for the Corinthian church to realize, because some of the Corinthians were saying, well, the resurrection is just this spiritual thing. It's not really real. It's, it's you know, and, and he just blows up and he says, look, he says, if, if Jesus isn't physically and bodily resurrected, then we are dead in our sins. That's a pretty heavy statement. And then he goes on to say this. He says, he says, Jesus appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the 12, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Uh, most of us, people ask, well, when did that happen? Well, we could maybe cover that another week. But most of those, Paul says, still alive, though some have fallen asleep, I mean, some have died. And then he says, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, Paul says, he, he appeared to one untimely born. He appeared to, he appeared also to me. 
So the 120 people who populated the upper room and the Holy Spirit fell on the tongues of fire and the wind and all that stuff, those 120 people in the upper room were among those described by Peter here, among the 500. And they had this very unique experience all together that generated this oneness. And, you know, my, my theme this morning is, how do we get in on that? How do we get in on that deal, right? There is a power and a glue in a shared experience that's very powerful, but it's sometimes good and sometimes bad. I think guys and gals are in units together. In in warfare, you find out a bond begins to exist that, that goes on and on and on. There's something about being in the same foxhole. Or even the positive uh, uh, unifying experience of being in one good extended family. Uh, and then there's the, the bondage that comes from being in a very difficult extended family. So you, unique experiences together create something. And these guys had this powerful, stupefying, unique experience of encountering the risen Jesus. So these disciples shared this experience, a physical encounter, and and it fueled them to understand that their own agendas and their own jealousies and all that stuff in the face of resurrection just kind of drivels away and something really wonderful happens. They come together and their unity was not the consequence of Pentecost, okay, of the falling of the Holy Spirit. They came to Pentecost unified. Their unity was the precondition, you know. So, so my first point is that the one accord of the disciples begins with his resurrection. Not, watch this, not, not, not at Pentecost. So what seals Pentecost is this united mission that they then have to proclaim the gospel with boldness. But watch this, watch this. The resurrection drove people into the arms of one another, exploded the church into the mission of the gospel. What God has been telling us, the tale that he's been telling us in the midst of the COVID-19 stuff and the racial crisis is that the church, churches need to be driven into one another's arms, all right, with the expectation that God is going to do something. Uh, So, Something is missing in the churches as I look across the uh, as I look across the landscape. There's one of my favorite theologians is a guy by the name of N.T. Wright. He's a brilliant Anglican uh, bishop. He and he declares he's written a lot on the resurrection. As a matter of fact, he, if you got to want to get a great book, there's a book called Surprised by Hope. It's just a great book. It can change your life. Can change the way that you see Christianity. But he says this. I'm quoting him. He says, The implication of Jesus' resurrection for the disciples is that right from the start, God's new creation has begun. Now let that sink in. The new creation, the new heaven and new earth, it's already started, right? More than that, God has dealt with death itself and the person of Jesus. But that's a sub, that's a sub thing. It's the new creation that's important. As the disciples reflect on that in the weeks and the months that follow running up to Pentecost, one thing is that they discovered is that the, the scriptures have been fulfilled completely. But watch this. 
So they read them, they now read them because of this common experience with new eyes, an unexpected way. They have a new way. Old scriptures mean something new and something wonderful in ways that they never thought about before, right? And so they realize that through Jesus' death and resurrection, a new world has already begun. Johnny Kilman preached at Mosaic, which is one of the prayer ministries here in the valley. And we recorded the session here at NC4 in the sanctuary. And he had this really like ingenious little motif where he was seeing the history of redemption and the history of, of the people of God in terms of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Each of those being periods of time and, and almost like dispensations. It was a great format. And when he got into the, to the, to the place where Jacob becomes Israel and God as a people, you know, I said to him, you know, you got to realize that the new heaven and the new earth isn't for then, it's now. In the book of Revelation, the new Jerusalem is coming down now. And of course, that just changes everything. The disciples realized, oh my gosh, there is a new heaven and new earth. There's a new constitution of reality that we're going to be involved in and it's going on now. We can cooperate with it now. Okay, so so what's the deal here? How come we miss that? Well, here, here's what I want to say. Satan has the church, watch this, in a position where it can become blind to the assurance that God is actually doing something. In this COVID deal, in this COVID deal, and all the racial unrest, and I know good things are going to happen consequent to it because I see there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a unity emerging out of this thing. But what, please... Lay that aside because Satan has, wants the church in a position where it can become blind to the assurance that God right now is doing something. All right. Watch your six. <laughs> uh, so, watch your six. In, in if the, the, I can't get into the derivation of the phrase. It has to do with watches and uh, wristwatches and all kinds of other stuff. But, but when, it, when, when someone like in the military or someone in the police forces, watch your six. What it means is you need to watch your blind spot. If you're going out there and you're going to have to do this police stuff or military stuff, you need to know what your blind spot is. So watch your six means to watch, for us as a church, means to watch the blind spot of our faith, both individually and as a church, all right? I believe there's a huge blind spot in the church today. I believe that individuals who are going through this stuff are falling prey to Satan because they're developing blind spots or they had blind spots that they, they're completely unaware of. Watch your sixth church. Watch it. Uh, if what I'm saying is true, that it was the disciples' re realization of the resurrected Jesus that drove them into each other's arms, you know what? That really poses a problem for you and me. How do I get in on this if my resurrected Savior lived 2,000 years ago and he showed himself to be the resurrected Savior to those guys 2,000 years ago and then he ascended, he's on the throne and he isn't around in bodily form. So does that mean I'm exempt from the power of his resurrection? We have this uh, Philippians 3.30 over on the wall of the Bethlehem Sanctuary that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. So if what I'm saying is true, like, holy schmoly, what are we doing about this? Congregations leave their churches. I've been preaching Easter's for 
for 40 years, congregations leave their churches on Easter Sunday joyous. I, I believe that. And they've honestly celebrated, I really believe, seldom the congregations leave their churches on Easter Sunday morning absolutely astonished, which is the truth of how we should be. Um, Let's look at a Bible verse where Paul confronts the challenge that I've just outlined, watching your six. In terms of uh, having the ability to kind of press on in God, Paul makes this amazing uh, statement to the Philippian church, and it's, it's emblazoned, as I said, on the walls of our sanctuary. So if you'll go with me over to Philippians, and, well, maybe you don't even have to, because it's going to be quick. Philippians chapter 3, verses 9 to 11, Paul says, I want to... I want to know Christ, this is Paul. Now, Paul has seen the risen Christ, okay? On the road to Damascus, Paul saw the physical body, the body, soul, and spirit, physical body of Jesus. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? But in Philippians, Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Wow. But Paul, you, you did see him. But there's something about the way we walk and the way we talk and what we do that we need to know him really in the astonishing power of his resurrection. And the, but then Paul goes on to say, in the fellowship of his sufferings, which tells us that there's some suffering involved to coming to that thing. By the way, the church is suffering right now. And so somehow, Paul says, and then he says this, watch this, somehow I want to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Wait a second. What did I say? I thought by grace I'm saved through faith, not of myself. It's the work, you know, it's, 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 it's God. It's, it's by faith. Uh, it's the poesy of God. It's not by works, lest any of us should boast. Uh, so how do I attain? How do I work toward the resurrection. Now, the Greek word that Paul uses there for attain means to reach to, to arrive at, to come to the place of the power of his resurrection. Paul's speaking about the present. He's not speaking about the future, not speaking about the past. Saw him on the road to Damascus. No, he was raised. No, I'll see him raised when he comes again. But now, like right now in my life, I need the power of his resurrection. Where does the power come from? Well, we, we know this, attaining to the resurrection, practically speaking, as I said, involves getting kicked around a little bit. But this doesn't mean that we have to crucify ourselves, but it does mean that as we walk through life and walk into our frailties, and, and, and this is the kind of the hint that, that stuff happens, okay? And, 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 and we have to deal with that. There is a capacity in all of us to come to the notion of the power of his resurrection. I want to focus quickly on a conversation between Martha and Jesus regarding the death of Lazarus. And the context is this. Lazarus, Jesus' friend, the one whom you love is ill, they said to Jesus. And Jesus says to his disciples, because he's not there when Lazarus is sick, he says, Lazarus is ill. He says, and, and, and then he goes on to say, Lazarus... Ah, is dead, or Lazarus has fallen asleep. And they said, what do you mean he's fallen asleep? He said, okay, Lazarus is dead. He said, and then he says something absolutely nuts. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, Lazarus is dead, and I'm satisfied with that for your sakes. Wow, I didn't go heal him. I let this thing play out 
because you need to see something. And so did Martha and Mary. So, so Jesus ends up at Bethany with, with Martha and in, in, in uh, uh, John uh, 11, beginning in verse 20, it says, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and met him. And, but Mary remained seated in the house. Verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And she's not saying it's your fault, but she's saying you could have done something about this. Verse 22, but then she retracts a little bit. And I love this because she says, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now, she doesn't know what she's asking Jesus for, but she knows she's in a dead situation. See, part of knowing the power of the resurrection of Jesus is being able to watch your six, to find your blind spot when you think you are in, or when I think I am in, some kind of a dead situation. I'm not just talking about physical death. I'm talking about that situation where nothing supernaturally, nothing naturally seems to be possible to address what's going on. That's that kind of situation. So Mary seems resigned to her brother's death, but Martha is exhibiting faith. She says, something's got to happen here, okay? And she's not sure what that faith is for, but she seems to be sure that God is doing something here, and she is watching her six. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Verse 24, Martha said to him, well, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. See, Martha say, I got my theology right, but then Jesus says something really astonishing that I believe he's saying to the church today. To each of us in the midst of the COVID and the racial unrest and all that stuff, whatever crisis, even if it's a, a personal crisis that you have, Jesus says, your brother will rise. I'm sorry, Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection. Right now, right now. Uh, today, June, what, what's today? June 7th? June 7th. All right, now, Jesus is saying to this church, to you who are listening online and live stream, to the people here in the sanctuary, I am your resurrection. I am it. Right now I am. I will be it then. I was it in the past, but right now I am your resurrection. Whosoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he says to, to Martha, do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord, I believe you're the Christ. She doesn't really answer him. She says, I know you're God. <laughs> I know you're the anointed one. Uh, I, lo I love, the, I love the, the, the sneaky little things that are in the scriptures. Don't you like that? You know, you kind of weasel through what Jesus is asking of you. Okay. Martha said, look, Martha's saying this. Lord, I had expected you to do something in this situation. I had faith. I had anticipation. You didn't show up. And Jesus doesn't explain himself. He doesn't apologize, all right? Now, the, she's saying, now the situation, Jesus, is, seems to be even beyond you because you weren't here when I needed you, and somehow I feel like an opportunity in God has been lost forever. Well, she's saying, I have a good doctrine of healing. I understand that we're all going to live forever sometime, and I understand that you're, you're this powerful intercessor and you're Messiah, and she says, but none of that really helps me right now, you know, because there's nothing left to do. 
We've lost the opportunity for, for, for God to be God. We've crossed the tipping point. We can't turn around. But because of her other encounters with Jesus, Martha knows she's got to watch her six. She's got to figure out where her blind spot is, right? She has a blind spot. So she says, even, even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And here's where we understand Jesus as our resurrection now. I am the resurrection. When it seems as if what we hoped for has died, and, and there's no natural or supernatural answer, Jesus becomes our resurrection. It's almost like a precondition. I, I lost my brother. Um, when I was 16, I lost my brother, who was 15 at the time. He died of leukemia, uh, and it was, it was a, a very excruciating time for our family. It, in those days, there was no chemo. It was a death sentence, and it wasn't a lovely death sentence, and he was just a kid. So I lost him, and I had other brothers and so forth. But my brother was 15, I was 16 when my brother died. My brother, Gig, was six, seven years old. Anyway, so I had to be the one to go tell the rest of my brothers, because my parents were in New York when my brother died. I had to go tell all my little brothers that my brother passed away. So we mourned, we grieved, and so forth. And two days later, now you've got to remember, I wasn't a Christian, and my life was not in great shape. I was a 16-year-old male. That should tell you something. So anyway, my little brother comes to me and says, Jack. I said, what? He says, Mike came to me last night in the bedroom. Now, my brother, his name was Mike. He said, Mike came to me last night in the bedroom. I said, so what, you had a dream? He said, no, 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 it was him. I said, you mean really him? And he said, yeah. And I said, ah, this is just a little kid's imagination or something like that. He said, no, he came. I said, well, what did he do? He said, he said something to me. I said, well, what did he say to you? He said, Gig, you need to follow the Lord. That was what he said. Now, my brother's older now. He's a, a famous doctor. He runs a research clinic and big university and stuff like that. And I told him about that a while back. I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, something like that reminded him, and he didn't comment. I have the sense I'm going to be close to him in these latter years, and i got to bring that up and say, what does that mean to you? you know, are you going to blow it off as something phantasmagoric, or are you going to respond to that? See, see, that's a little... Now, uh, look, I know when I say this kind of stuff, people are going to say, you can't communicate with the dead, blah, blah. I don't know. That's what happened. And there seems to be redemption in it, so... I'm going to use it. I don't agree with the theology of that. Anyway, so I'm thinking, listen, this kid lost his big brother. And in the heat of an evening of sleep, he wakes up and there he is. And he hadn't lost him. What do you do about that? Because that's resurrection. Huh? That I may know him now and the power of his resurrection. I remember there was a point in my life, I, I don't get, tend to get depressed, which drives my wife crazy. And so I remember there's a point in my life where I probably was clinically depressed. I was a Christian, but I made all these changes in my life. I let all this bad stuff go that I loved. And I, <laughs> and I had all this other stuff that I was into that I didn't love so much because it was in the Bible. And now that stuff was going on and I was clinically depressed. And I was in a situation and I just thought, I don't, I don't know if I can do this anymore. And I looked up 
I mean, I, I, I felt like all the possibilities were gone. Something was dead. And I looked up and I saw a bright white physical being, not anything floaty, floaty or spiritual, like a physical person, completely white and radiant. And that individual, I don't know if it was male or female, was androgynous, looked at me and smiled. And I went like this and disappeared. It was an, an angelic visitation. And like that, something welled up in me like faith. And something changed. Uh, someone, no doubt, was praying for me, releasing an angel. See, that, I knew the power of his resurrection. I didn't watch my six. I didn't know where my blind spot was. So when Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection, he isn't speaking about Lazarus being res- raised from the dead. He's talking to Martha. He, he's saying to Martha, you have made Lazarus' illness and death your ultimate blind spot. And my disciples have done the same thing. So this has to happen. Now watch your six and then watch me. That's what Jesus is saying. Know me. Know the power of my resurrection. And this is what happened to the disciples in the wake of Calvary. Uh, Death was defeated. You see, now there's a point to this that I I don't want us to miss. Uh, Beyond our individual deaths, because unless Jesus comes, we're all going to assume room temperature sometime. So beyond our individual deaths, all right, I want you to grasp this point. Death is our enemy. Paul says that. But death is our enemy not because of its power to end us. It has no power to end us. Whoa, okay? Death is our enemy because of its power to deceive us, to tell us that everything is over and there's no hope. And guess what? You can be depressed because God's not bigger than what I'm facing here. That's, that's the power of death, you see. Now, I just told you that my brother died. This is fascinating because he passed away. Again, I, you know, I probably knew something of the doctrine of resurrection, but probably a cartoon in my head, 16-year-old male. And I'm driving home from the funeral, and I go into a restaurant, and in the restaurant, this pretty young girl, 15-year-old, comes to wait on me, and it's my future wife, Trisha. There was no Holy Spirit motivating me. I won't tell you what was motivating me. Anyway, you end up becoming close and getting married and all that kind of stuff. But it's interesting. My mom grieved the loss of her son deeply. Boy, when a parent loses a child, it's just terrible. But my wife became the daughter that my mother never had. And I, you know, I, I don't, can't put it all together, but this, the whole thing was emblazoned with resurrection power. See, Jesus is telling Martha, and this morning on June 8th, Jesus is telling us, death is an enemy because it lies to us all the time. It tells you you got no hope. It tells you you got no Jesus. It tells you there's no power for this situation. It tells you there's no way out. It tells you all that kind of stuff. And the deceit of death is this. In this situation, nobody, not even God, not even Jesus, can really do something that will impact my soul. It's even beyond God. I'm, gonna get, I'm not going to get any resolution. And if, that's, if you have anything in your life, maybe it's not as dramatic as I'm portraying, where you said, uh, that's done, that thing is dead. If that's in your life this morning, 
Here's the word of the Lord to you. Watch your six, because you've got a blind spot. You don't know what's going on behind your back. The enemy is at work. Your hope has been snuffed. Watch your six. As a matter of fact, I want to pray right now for you. I want to pray right now, and I want to pray for an exposition the exposed blind spots. Right now, if you're watching online, if you're here, a couple of us are here this morning, I just want to pray the Holy Spirit come. I'm going to be praying for miracles. By the way, you know, there is a gift of miracles. We don't talk about it much, but it's one of the gifts. It's right there with tongues. It's right there with prophecy and healing and all that other stuff. It's the gift of miracles. That means recreation. That means resurrection. That means what was dead comes alive because when, when a resurrection happens, even when somebody prays for a resurrection, that's not a, a miracle of healing. That's a miracle of miracles. You're there. It's a whole different subset of miracles. Anyway, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for all those who are listening online, those who are live streamed, the houses or whatever. Lord, I, I speak a release and exposure of blind spots. I, I speak a release of the capacity of every individual, every, every person to be able to watch their six. I just speak a release of it, and I speak a release of hope. I just speak a release of the miraculous to take situations that are dead and make them come alive with kingdom possibilities, with new heaven, with new earth right now. In the name of Jesus, whoever is within earshot, I pray, God, that you expose the lie of the death that we're drinking in. Expose the lie of the death of this COVID thing. Expose the lie of the death of the hatred that's out out there. Expose the lie of individual impossibilities in households right now in the name of Jesus. And I release the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I release the power. I release the power. I release the power of the miraculous in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen and amen. If we get a hold of that, whoa. Whew. If we get a hold of that, my brothers and sisters, if we can get our spiritual teeth into that, we will have no problem unifying. We will have no problem being of one accord. After Jesus' death and burial, the disciples were centered upon how very temporary life is. That's where they were. But Jesus wants us to understand how very temporary death is. It has no time at all because we live forever. Whereas in our eyes, death is some ultimate obstacle, the absolute predicament facing humanity is Jesus saying to us right now, you know what, death is nothing in me. Death is nothing in me. Death is nothing in me. When we together walk in that revelation Anything can happen. Revival can happen. We can be as men and women who laugh when our captivity is restored. Be free. Watch your six in Jesus' name. Now, if you're listening this morning, and you may not even understand what I said, but you know something like is rising up in you. You're facing a situation. Well, you, you, and you know, you're thinking, maybe Jesus could like really do something here, but I don't know that I know him, or I don't know that I know him in the way that I should know him. I don't know that I'm on good terms with him. I just want you to pray with me. I want everybody to pray with me, 
You can pray after me. We'll do it kind of like the Catholic way. Um, and, and you just pray after me and, and let, let's, let's see what God does like in the, next, in the next hours, weeks. Let's see what God does. So pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, you are my resurrection. I'm so sorry for the way I've conducted my life, the stuff I've done wrong. Please forgive me. And I accept your forgiveness by faith. I, I turn from anything I know is wrong. Help me to do that. I thank you that you died on the cross for me. And I receive that forgiveness in love. The gift of it. So come into my life. Be my friend, Jesus, my God, my Lord, my Savior, you, my King, and I thank you, Lord. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the NC4 Podcast. For more info, visit our website at nc4.org. We believe in the power of a connected life. If you prayed to give your life to Jesus today, we'd love to help you walk it out together. Just text the word Jesus to 610-816-6062.